Welcome to Balthazar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth, a series of conversations about the life and teachings of Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, who is considered to be one of the most important Catholic intellectuals and writers of the 20th century. Incredibly prolific and diverse, he wrote over 100 books. He is also co-founder with Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger of the acclaimed theological journal, Communio. It is the purpose of this series of programs to introduce some of the themes of Balthasar's work, and perhaps to help some understand better why Hans Urs von Balthasar is so important for modern theology and for the lived experience of the Church today. Balthasar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We continue our conversation with Dr. Rodney Hauser on Hans Urs von Balthasar's The Moment of Christian Witness. Dr. Hauser joined the faculty of DeSales University in 1999 and was promoted to the rank of tenured professor in 2010. He holds a doctoral degree from Marquette University with a specialization in fundamental theology. His book publications include Hans Urs von Balthasar and Protestantism the ecumenical implications of his theological style. How Balthazar Changed My Mind, co-edited with Larry Chapp, and Hans Urs von Balthazar, A Guide for the Perplexed. He has scholarly articles published in Communio, Nova Edvitera, and the Josephium Journal of Theology. In the moment of Christian witness, Hans Urs von Balthazar seeks to aid all those who are challenged both spiritually and intellectually by the call of Christ, and the difficulties faced by a world hostile to Christianity. With a rich and deep spirituality, along with solid biblical exegesis, he counters an age of spiritual fads, self-centered goodisms, and reveals to the reader the origins of all those troubling elements in Christianity which claim that the real Jesus Christ is unknowable, the Gospels as merely the confused reflections of later Christians, and that Christian tradition is a perpetuation of mythology. Balthazar will show that it's only through the embrace of the cross of Christ Jesus that the heart and mind can be illuminated by truth and offer an authentic Christian witness in today's world. We now continue our conversation with Dr. Rodney Hauser on the moment of Christian witness. It's a very dangerous territory that we venture into when even the one body, the one head, the mystical body. Okay. And now we are many parts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. That all function and serve. But if we fracture into tribes, you have to see the source of that. It it, it is diabolical. Yeah. And we've discussed that in its truest sense because of the divisions that happen. Right. And recalling that in that discernment that you have spoken of, which Balthazar calls us to, Mm -hmm. is to discern the spirit. That's exactly right. Yes. And not to judge the person, but to discern the spirit of the time that is responsible for the fracturing of the body. Right. And then to respond to that. And is that the Ernst fall, the moment of Christian witness, that crucial moment that's of the ex- experience? That's exactly it. It's kind of knowing 
where you can kind of meet the modern person and say, hey, I can hold hands with you on this effort. You know what I mean? I can join mm-hmm. you with this. Like, for instance, I mean, just to take this thing that's been happening, you know, kind of lately is a rise in our awareness of, let's say, racism or something like that. And there's a lot there that I think the church can get on board with and say, hey, yes, there are systemic problems in this country and this and that and the other. But we have to always do this in, in discernment because if we sidle up to the wrong or right group, we have to understand that some of what we want, they want, but then there's other things they want that we can't go along with. And I mean, one thing, I just, just to go back to something I said earlier, we cannot simply break the world into these two groups, victims and victimizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we're all sinners, if we don't begin with our own sinfulness and we just put ourselves on the side of the good, then there's this other group that we're just going to scapegoat and judge as being evil. And, and we're not even going to try to reach out to them. You know what I mean? It's a, um, I think this is where Solzhenitsyn's famous quote about the line of good and evil running right down the middle of all of us. We have to understand that that quote was made in the face of Soviet communism. Mm. They didn't acknowledge that the line between good and evil runs right down the heart of every man. The world is neatly broken between the good guys and the bad guys, and the revolution sets about to put the good guys in charge and eradicate the bad guys. Correct me if I'm wrong. For that particular system, Mm -hmm. they would say, we are trying to establish freedom from poverty. Yes. We're trying to establish freedom from oppression and all these other things. And yet, at what cost? Exactly. That's it. That's right. And, and that's where the Christian can bring distinctly Christian things that we know that if we don't have Christ, we don't know. We bring them into that and say, but what about this and what about that? And that's what a guy like Solzhenitsyn does. Solzhenitsyn brings a Christian worldview, a thoroughly Christian worldview, to bear on his experience in the Soviet Union. And you get this beautiful ability to speak outside of his time. You know, nobody in the Soviet Union or a handful of people are speaking the way he's speaking because he's able to see it in the, under the species of eternity, as we say. It's interesting for Americans, I think, for us to recall that our revolution mm-hmm. at that time, the, the freedom that yeah. we attained, were at the same time that the French Revolution, essentially, it's only a decade, it's the kind of moshed around the same, or the same goals, essentially. Yeah. But one took a horrific track. I mean, the, some could say that the, the revolution devoured its own children. Yeah. But then also Alexei de Tocqueville, who was Catholic, came yeah. to the United States and said, okay, now why did this one work? I'm truncating it down to a cute phrase, but essentially he said, it's because they have this discipline of once a week hearing a message that says you have to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the poor, welcome the stranger. At least that seemed to be for him, even though we it wasn't perfect expression of that slavery and what was happening with the Native Americans. Yeah. If you take that component out, what will happen? Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly kind of the point I was trying to make about Kant earlier. I think Kant and even the American founders underestimated the degree to which the worldview that they were uh, um, trying to bring to bear in this, this new world was a distinctly Christian worldview. I think that was underestimated, especially by Jefferson, but even by some of the other ones. Um, and, uh, and I think that it was only a matter of time until the chickens came home to roost and people said, well, if we could throw off organized religion, 
why can't we throw off also God? That's trickle down. It was a much slower approach. I think that's why it's in reading this at this particular time, this is when he's writing this, it's or just after the election of Pope John Paul II. Yeah. And he would break this open even more so through the course of his writings right. for a good, what, 20-some years, a couple of decades, pouring us to essentially learn from what, what Balthazar is trying to break open for us in the beginning right here. Yeah. I mean, John Paul II's encyclicals are beautiful because, and you can tell in, in many ways they're directed at the sort of the eclipse of the individual in Soviet-style politics, you know, communism. And he's trying to win back a kind of uh, very strident Christian humanism, you know, defending reason, defending freedom, defending um, objective morality, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in the face of all of that uh, that had been destroyed by communism. And then I think Benedict, um, you know, he's, a, he's not an Eastern European pope. He's a European pope, you know. So we kind of forget that, you know, it was a long, long time since we had a non-Italian pope up until John Paul II. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, now we're our third non-Italian pope. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that really does like, whoa, what's going on? But, but Benedict is interesting because he's not coming from an explicitly atheistic regime like John Paul II was. He's coming from a world that kind of claims to be Christianity only because it's absorbed Christianity into itself and then thrown off anything that doesn't kind of fit with the modern thing. And so when we start to hear Benedict talk, he starts talking about things like a dictatorship of relativism. Mm. That's a beautiful expression because the kind of dictatorship that John Paul II was dealing with when negotiating with the Soviets was in your face dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Relativism doesn't seem like dictatorship. It seems like the exact opposite. Like, hey, live and let live. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. There's no objective norms. Have at it as long as you're not hurting anyone. But that actually can become also a kind of tyranny or a dictatorship if it's, if it's let go too far. I mean, we're having situations now in Italy and in the United States where court cases are coming up about illegalizing transphobia, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what does that mean? I mean, so, so obviously all of us agree that we don't want people who are experiencing these kinds of things being beat up or, you know, whatever, you know, we don't want them Correct. to be. Yeah, exactly. Right. But obviously it goes beyond that. And is it going to be the case in Italy? And the bishops are worried about this right now, that if a priest from the pulpit preaches against homosexuality, is he going to be able to be arrested for hate speech? And, mm -hmm. and, and that's a big concern with many of the Italian bishops. But that's exactly the kind of thing that Benedict has in mind by a dictatorship of relativism. We, don't, we, we lose the right to proclaim the truth. That's why it's, as you said, we have to stop and really pause when I should be able to be free to do what I want and you can be free to do you, what you want because ultimately, at some point, your freedom is going to bang into my freedom. That's right. And then who's going to win? That's right. And, and all of it, that's a great point. And that's the first major point to be made. And the other point to be made is too, that what happens in that kind of talk, a lot of times is both sides lose sight of the common good, mm -hmm. which moderns are not very good talking about. You know, uh, Aquinas, the common good is the predominant thing that politics is after. It's not after individual liberty. He says this explicitly, you know, it's primarily concerned with the common good. 
And some of my conservative friends who are kind of moaning about having to wear masks, I, I want to just quote Thomas Aquinas to them because, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, you're, you're saying that this is an infringement of your individual liberty, but your individual liberty could be at least possibly at the expense of the common good. And that's something you could never square with sort of Catholic, uh, with, with doctorate, you know, so, so that's, uh, I think Benedict is good to kind of help all of us who are raised in liberal regimes, which seem so much kinder and gentler than the Soviet regime, and of course they are, but we also have to be very leery of simply getting on board without having our discernment in place. That's right, because it, it's, um, I, I can't help but think of uh, the charism of solidarity. Yeah. Is explicit. They I mean explicitly talk about it in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Yes. And bring it down to our, how I can understand it, it's essentially we don't move forward unless we all move forward. That's exactly right. Yeah. And sometimes, it, and that's to be a Catholic, to understand who we are and we profess our creed, yeah. we're saying yes to that. Yes. And yeah. so, what is it that the Christian is to do when? In that moment, you know, like, well, we'll use the, the, the situation you're talking about. I may not necessarily understand or the science behind a particular uh, ep epidemic at this yeah, moment. Yeah. But I'm told that for the sake of the other, yeah. even though I may not necessarily believe it, I'll do it because, you know, I could say I'm young, which I'm not really. But if I were in that median age where yeah. I may not be as affected, Right. I do it anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every, you know, we don't move forward unless we all move forward. Yeah, I like that. You That's know, good. towards the yeah. kingdom. And That's right, yeah. That type of sacrificial behavior is ultimately what Balthazar would point us to when he says, gaze upon the love that comes from the cross. Yes. yes. You make the sacrifice. You do it. And even though these people, they do not understand what they're doing. Yeah. They're torturing me. They're killing me. Forgive them. I'm going forward. and I want to take them with me. Right. Is that part of what Balthazar is calling us to in this moment? Yes, absolutely. And, 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 uh, and again, it's just I, I think if there's like one really easy takeaway from this book is that it's that the Christian, any, any era the Christian lives in, when they go into the world, they cannot leave any, even the most scandalous aspects of the faith behind. And that's why the cross is so important to this book, because the most, quote, embarrassing thing that we Christians believe, if you think about it, is the notion that this one guy died on the cross, and somehow that's my access to forgiveness. And when I try to explain this to my, to my 18 to 22-year-old students, they just look at me like, What? <laughs> you know, like, like aha, you know, and so, so what happens is we tend to not talk about it, even if I don't know when the last time I ever heard a homily in a Catholic church, which tried to explain what it means to say that Jesus Christ died for my sins, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's weird to believe that, like, it's, it doesn't just, you know, it's not self-evident. It's not like, oh, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, that, that you can kind of get your head around. But Baltazar goes precisely to the cross because he knows that's the most scandalous aspect of the faith. And he says that's precisely where the Christian has to encounter the modern human being. This willingness to love somebody all the way to the end, regardless of, of sort of what they do or say to us, et cetera, et cetera. 
that's going to be where we're going to be a powerful witness in the world, not by necessarily figuring out how to fix all of our problems, mm-hmm. but by living, as you just said, in loving solidarity with our fellow man, whether we can agree with them or not, um, loving them to the end and being willing to be ridiculed and scorned and perhaps even crucified, you know, at some point for our faith. Yeah, and the crazy thing about that, it will come from the usual suspects. Right. And I mean this in all loving care and concern for others, but all I gotta do is look at the life of Jesus. It will you will be abandoned and possibly turned on by the person you're sitting next to in the pew. That's exactly right. That's right. And Balthazar says the people that do this to us, the disciples of Christ, that is the people that end up killing the disciples of Christ, will think they are doing it for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what's super interesting, you know, that, that, you know, like I'm Stalin thinks he's going to set up a regime of love. Mm-hmm. That's why he's putting people in the gulag. Yep. Is they're in the way of the regime of love, you know, I'm confident Mao in the beginning thought Absolutely. the same thing. Oh yeah. And Hitler, you know, and the Pharisees and the yes. Sadducees. Yep. I mean, when they looked at Jesus, they saw somebody who was disrupting the peace they were trying to establish for their people. Yeah. And we can go back to Socrates, even, who's kind of a, you know, a nice mm-hmm. proto uh, secular saint for us there who, uh, who just is upsetting the apple cart a little bit by calling certain Athenian things into question. And the Athenians who put him to death are sure they're on the side of justice. He's corrupting the youth, so we have to put him down. So I think it's very important for us Christians to remember as we're discerning the spirit of the age is to remember always that what we're up against is not going to be a two-horned evil person who says, I'm out to do evil. It's always going to be a humanitarian movement. The system that Paul Bazaar is talking about here is thoroughly humanitarian. I know, and I have friends of mine, God love them. And probably if, if I'm brutally honest with myself, I do the same thing on occasion. Yeah. You hear people are telling me that I have to love, but... You know, the eye roll at the, you know, that you're called to love your neighbor, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no buts. No, no, no. I mean, it's about love. God is love. So you have to begin to wrap your brain and your heart around what authentic love is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's important too. And that's one of the dangers of social media. I just had an incident the other day on social media that I wish I could take back, but, but an old friend of mine who I went to grad school with, who who is a Catholic uh, of sorts was on there basically saying something like, you know, we don't even have to think about natural law anymore. Natural law was devised in a time when you had traditional families and it was all to prop up, you know, all the bourgeois stuff in the middle ages. And now we're past that. So we just throw natural out the window and I got really upset. (laughs) So, you know, I was hyperventilating and I, and, uh, and I worry that in hindsight, that instead of me reaching out to that guy personally and just saying, hey, dude, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, let's, let's try to talk that out. Instead of, I, but instead, I just write on Facebook, write in front of God and everyone, you know, kind of let him have it a little bit. That guy's a friend. I, 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 if I disagree with him passionately, that's fine. But there's a way to do it in love. And there's a way to, to I did it out of anger and impatience. And, and I doubt it helped. Whereas if I had called him and said, hey, let's talk. I think it would have gone a hundred times better. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard because, you know, I'm with you. I did the same thing. I I can't tell you the times I've had to delete things that I, I, after (laughs) I'm like, what did I just do? Yeah, right. (laughs) And, but it it hits something deep inside of us. 
I'll name it for myself anyway, ultimately it becomes a fear. Yeah. Because stop, not only what you're saying challenges me, now I'm being forced to think it through again, but don't let this happen. Yes. You know, and I've got to, I got to jump in there. And yeah. this moment for Christians right now, and in particular for Catholics, yeah, it's a moment to have integrity. And by integrity, I mean, the, the simplest definition is you are what you appear to be. Right. And the thing that is crippling us in many ways, and I mean, just because we fall and we are banging our knees so hard on the cobblestones, yeah, is that we're not allowing that nature to be manifested in the world when you right. when you hear the the type of responses the the snark the easy put down the, the yeah. rapier sword i mean the thing about jerome and augustine is yeah. that we read the we read the letters after they died yeah jerome's letters to augustine they weren't posted on doors <laughs> right. so that everybody in town could see this fight they're having that's right yeah 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 do you know what i mean it's only after they're dead but now instantly it's out there yeah and i think that's the nature of scandal isn't it i mean yeah. the, at its truest sense when we i saw that the other day with somebody who i know that they feel they're doing a christian witness in the moment mm-hmm. literally yeah. i mean I, I need to speak up i need to be a witness yeah but this person that i love dearly and i know his heart i know how he speaks was so given the pressures of what's happening in society we're recording this at the time of right in the heart of the nature of the pandemic that's affected all the world and the stresses of job family health everything else he wrote a piece that was filled with with anger a rant i couldn't believe it was coming from this particular person Mm -hmm. this is not him yeah yeah, but it was the spirit of whatever's going on inside the anger the fear the the exhaustion Mm-hmm. And it just came out, but it took, it, it brought along a whole lot of little ones who follow him right in the wake. That same spirit of anger, frustration, it just continues to spread and to spread. Yeah. And he can have great regret afterwards, but it's already been passed on. It's out there. Yeah. 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 And so that's, in the particular time we live in, is, isn't that how we call it a mob? Mm-hmm. I suppose that's how it is, but that's how all mobs yeah. have found their source. And we're supposed to be something that's opposite of that. We're supposed to be the calm. Yeah. But I don't know about you, but I'm not really great at it. I'm not good at it either. And I'll tell you one thing about rereading this book that was really helpful is what happens in the system, and we all get sucked into the system. Balthazar says this at one point. He says, the first thing we have to remember is we're also modern, you know, we're all, we're all, it's just in us, you know, the air we breathe is, is the system. So we have to kind of remember that on the one hand, but the other thing that characterizes the system that has gotten into all of us is the notion that this, all of our problems have to be fixed and they have to be fixed right now. You know, like in that email or in that Facebook message I sent, I was impatient to fix an error that I thought was going to cause the world to be a worse place, you know, or something like that. And, And the fact of the matter is, The Christian is the one who acknowledges the kingdom of God can only be brought about through the mercy and grace and act of God, and that we can be vehicles to that. Like we can, we can be used by God to help bring his kingdom, uh, uh, you know, to earth to some degree, but we can never take it into our own hands and get impatient 
it has to be in God's time. And I think that's one of the things that we have to remember as Christians that we don't have to win the battles. We don't have to win every battle. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sometimes when we do win battles, we lose the war. You know, when, when the church does get power, it also loses its ability to be a witness. And sometimes it's at its most powerful precisely when it has nothing to, it can't defend itself. And, uh, and that can be kind of a beautiful witness in itself. And I think that's what we have to remember is, um, yes, there's evil out there and, and we're supposed to spread light and salt, but we've got to do that in a way that acknowledges that anything we do without the blessing of Christ is never going to amount to anything. And that's why I think the contemplation prior to action is super important. At the heart of so much of Balthazar too is, okay, you want the good and the common good in particular because from that it becomes the source of the beautiful yeah there's a beauty a glory that each person has to bring in in some form some way some some particular mission we have no idea what it is but there has to to have that freedom Mm -hmm. for the other and to be able to express that beauty and that's part of what happens when you drag the individual and you cast them into form yeah you lose the world yes the whole world loses something because of yeah. the crushing of that one person right that's exactly right this is one, one thing that I, th- I go back to chesterton uh, just for a minute i think one of the things that actually made him very saintly whether or not he was a saint or not is his ability to maintain his humor, even in the most fierce intellectual battles. I mean, if you read his books, they're filled with fierce intellectual battles, but never do you get the sense that he loses his composure. And I think he had to be a man of deep prayer to be able to keep his equilibrium and know that it wasn't all on him to win every debate he got in. He has a kind of sense of humor, even when he's disagreeing with people, because he knows ultimately it's in God's hand. And so he can take himself a little bit more, more lightly. Whereas I, I think that, oh, I've learned all this stuff and I have to bring my intellect to bear to save the world from error, <laughs> you know? And then, it's, and then I you know, lose my cool or I try to rely on my own wits, which are, which are not that great to begin with. So it's, uh, it's a lesson to be learned there. And I think I, I see it in this book that both are saying, if we're gonna help the system to kind of overcome itself, we, we, we can't do so like just marching out there and proclaiming we're right and you're wrong. It's going to have to be much more Christ-like than that. What he's offering throughout the book, especially in those last sections, is yeah. uh, stripping away of that diabolical, that division. I mean, he's, yeah. uh, he's trying to strip it away from our deformation. Do you realize how you got here? You're going to have to go back to the very nub of it all. Yes. And then cast your gaze on that cross. Yep. Yep. And take your bearings from there. That's it. That's yep. your formation. That's how you reform. That's, and now it's time, Christians, now the time to come back into this moment. And he chronicles that. I mean, it's interesting. Some of the, the whole Cordula, what happens with her? that particular character and what can happen for us. Yes. Yeah. 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 To go back to the thing and say, okay, this is what I have to do. Um, Cause the instinct at the beginning for her was just to run. And that would be my instinct mm-hmm. and anybody's. And that's the same thing I'm kind of getting at is our, our instinct is to do something sort of drastic right now to make everything okay. 
and the way of Christ is actually the patient way. You know, the, the, we had the reading of the mustard seed, you know, not that long ago uh, at, at, at mass, or maybe it was in daily prayer. And, uh, and I think of that, like the mustard seed is this teeny little thing and it doesn't seem like it's doing much and, and it's pathetic in a way, you know, and the next thing you know, here we have this massive tree that birds can kind of hang out in and stuff like that. And it's, but it's slow and it's deliberate and it's not in a hurry and it's, you know, and it allows itself to grow in God's time, you know, rather than trying to rush it, which is exactly what Marxism does. It, it, it has a great sense for justice, but it precisely in its haste, it becomes itself a system of evil. For some, there may be a desire to do the bigger thing, to do yeah. the big thing. The, the little way of St. Therese just isn't enough. Yes. That's kind of boring. And it's just not enough. I've got to do yeah. a big cause. I've got to be a part of this big thing. Right. And yet it's precisely in the little way. It's, it's Mary and Nazareth. It's, <laughs> it's just the little things. And we're to be called into the world for the, for the Christian in the moment. Yeah. It's not to be called out of the world. We're in solitude in our prayer in the yeah. indwelling that Christ is in us. Yeah. But we got to take him out into the world. That's right. Yeah. And it's going to be little, little Joan of Arc rounding up a handful of guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. she, she doesn't have an army. She's not a king. She's, she's a little girl, but she's like, hey, we got to do something about this. And, and next thing you know, you know. Um, yeah. Our place is in the world. Yeah. Um, and I know in my own particular case, there once you begin to get a sense of that decisive Christian moment, when you begin to realize who who am I and who am I called to be, mm-hmm. you want to essentially stay in that. The church becomes like a hospital and you want to stay there because it's, it's helped me to heal. It's helped yes, me to understand. Yes. I want to be there, but we're not meant to live in the hospital. Right. We're meant to live into the world and to bring others there so they too can have this awakening Yes. Of who they truly are. That can be a danger, can it? That we want to stay in the hospital. We want right. to stay there. Yep. Yep. And Jesus didn't say, I'm, I'm keeping you here as sheep among sheep. He said, I'm sending you out of sheep among wolves, you know, so that, yeah, absolutely. So can we say that we've come to the conclusion of this incredible book? I think we have. I think, I think so. Yes. As much as we can, you know. Yeah. What, <laughs> what would your thoughts be? What, I want to say final thoughts, but then again, as we established, there isn't, this is a moment that is going to be occurring throughout, well, until, until time is united, Kronos ends and Kairos begins. Yeah. I mean, if I have a final thought, I would say it's this balance that Balthazar is always trying to achieve, uh, because I think there's two instincts that we have as Christians. The one instinct is to simply withdraw from the world because it's a hostile place and we're not liked by the world. So let's hang out with our own people like us, like-minded people that we can feel good about and you know, ourselves and not feel in danger and not have to go out on a limb. And then the other, so that's one, the sectarian temptation. The other one is um, to become so much like the world in the way we think that we literally have nothing to bring them when we meet them. So yeah, we can befriend the world and that also takes the cross out because now there's no danger because I, I'm just like them and they're just like me. What's very, very rare and very difficult is the person who maintains their Christian identity in the heart of the world. But unfortunately, that's the only option we have. Sounds like another book by Balthazar, Heart of the World. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> leave, leave it to him. 
Yes. And, and you. Oh, Dr. Hauser, you're just, this has been just a delight. I hope you'll join us again for further discussions. I would love to. I've had an absolute blast. This concludes part four of our conversation with Dr. Rodney Hauser, discussing Hauser's von Balthasar's The Moment of Christian Witness. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many other episodes of this particular series, visit bonbalthazar.com. There, too, you can also access numerous audio excerpts from this book, along with others in the Balthazar Library. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will consider subscribing to this podcast and liking it on whatever platform you may be hearing it on. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about vonbalthazar.com and join us for the next episode of Balthazar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth.